please be seated. <laughs> and uh, we've got a multi-prop, multi-person uh, children's sermon slash sermon today. <laughs> so we're all together, um, and uh, we're going to finish up our book of Ecclesiastes that we've been studying all summer long while we're all together. Um, and I realized that uh, quite a lot of you have not been present for all of the steps along the way so far. So we're going to start by uh, recapping kind of the whole message of Ecclesiastes, and um, then we're going to uh, finish it off with uh, chapters 11 and 12. So to recap this whole mes message, I've asked Miriam for her help as, um, <coughs> as my beautiful assistant here. Okay, so here's Miriam. <coughs> And uh, I want you to imagine that Miriam is a wise person. Uh, okay. <laughs> Takes imagination. So uh, Miriam is crowned with wisdom. Okay. Uh, and throughout Ecclesiastes, wisdom is praised and uh, the preacher is crowned with wisdom. Um, so this Mi Miriam's crown of wisdom means that uh, Miriam knows about the Lord because she knows that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She wants to know God and to keep his commandments. Uh, she's read the book of Proverbs, and she wants to live a wise and righteous life in this world as it really is. Miriam is crowned with wisdom. Uh, and Miriam is still young. She's just starting out her life. Her life stretches ahead of her like a race from this side of the church to where we see that checkered flag over there. The race of this life. And uh, it's a race that, that Miriam honestly wants to win. So here's her goal. We'll put this on her here. Miriam wants to win. All right. And there's nothing wrong with this goal. It's kind of a goal that's extolled in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and what we mean by this is, what do I want to get out of this life? What would make my life a good and successful life? Uh, we all of us ask ourselves this question, and we all come up with different answers. So um, I'd love to hear, especially, like, would any of the children be willing to raise their hand and tell us, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah, Dylan. A vet. Okay, you'd love to be a vet when you grow up? Yes. Uh, Danny and James. A field biologist? A blacksmith? Yeah, mercy. A teacher. Great. So these are all goals. And I want you to think about these goals as, like, what is to win, right? Um, you might have a very high and lofty goal. You might have a goal of, um, you know, being the president or being super famous. Uh, or inventing something that changes the world. Or you might have a, a more ordinary goal, just a, a, a good job and a nice house. Uh, you might look for relational success. I want a, a, a good wife, a good husband. Um, I want to have nice children, raise them to be good, uh, successful children, and be great parents. You might have um, a, 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 maybe a religious goal. Um, I really want to serve the Lord of my life. Um, I want to be a bishop, or I want to be a missionary. Um, but one way or another, these are all, I want to think about all of these as ways to win, okay? Uh, to, to, to have a success in mind that we define. Okay, so this is what we imagine. We imagine that since we have this crown of wisdom, we know God, we do things by, by the book, as it were, by Proverbs, and we have this goal to win, that this is what our life will look like. Off you go, Miriam. Miriam's going to win the race. All right, so... Um, that's, that's a very reasonable thing to expect, and if, in fact, the, the, book, the Pentateuch and the book of Proverbs kind of leads us to expect that, until Ecclesiastes comes along and changes the picture quite a good bit, 
uh, and is, in fact, a little bit more depressing. So uh, at this point, I'm going to need some volunteers. I tried to recruit these ahead of time, but the people I tried to recruit aren't here. So I'm going to need to just like spot volunteer people. So what I need is five people who are willing to stand up and take the role of the obstacles in this race that Ecclesiastes finds. OK, wow, I've got lots of volunteers. All right, I'll take uh, Diavion, I'll take Dylan, I'll take Benjamin, I'll take Mary, and I'll take Bella. Thank you. Uh, thanks all for volunteering. So come up, stand here, and I need you sort of in a line along, along this front here. Cut you up on the stage there so people can see you better. All right, so um, Solomon identifies um, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that there are five obstacles in the way of, a su of this successful life, and he calls them vanities, vanity of vanities. So we can think about five vanities, um, and the first one he identifies is time. Diego on his time. You are Diego on. <laughs> All right. Uh, so time means that um, life has this, it's, it's kind of, it's captured in time. It has this tendency to go round and round in circles. It means that there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, it means that everything that's, that's happened has happened before. Everything that's going to be done is going to be done again. Um, and, uh, and so all of our attempts to make progress are frustrated by this reality of time. It undoes all of our good work, and it does everything under the sun. The second reality... Uh, this is an accident that this is you, uh, is, is the reality of evil. Um, so uh, here you are. Here's Darth Maul's lightsaber. Uh, <coughs> um, so this, <laughs> uh, this, this world, the second vanity is evil. What that means is that bad and hard and painful things happen all the time. There's injustice throughout the world. Uh, evil does not uh, take account of, of good and bad people. It comes to everyone, and it, make, it causes suffering all the way along this journey. Uh, the third reality is this reality of a vanity of God unknowable. I'm going to make some more of you. Should have a way to do that. Yeah, it's like one of those Krispy Kreme pants. Okay, is that good enough? <laughs> there we are. God unknowable. All right, now what, what uh, Solomon means by this is that we do believe in God, and we be do believe he has a plan, all right, that he's got a strategy for our world, um, but we can't know it. So to us, it's just a blank, a question mark. And so God's ways are utterly inscrutable and mysterious to us. We don't know what he's doing. And, um, and therefore, we sort of wander around in confusion. How can we cooperate with the Lord that we're serving if we just have no idea what he's doing and what his plans are? Then, this, fit, this fourth vanity that we come across is death. <laughs> death. Um, here you are. You can take that out of its sheath if you like. Yes. It's a real sword. Um, so uh, this reality of death is that all of our lives are going to end this way. Everything that we've done is, is going to be taken from us. Death is a random uh, event that happens to people in that it doesn't have any respect of persons. Um, it often comes for good people in, while they're young uh, and comes to them violently. And it often uh, leaves wicked people to live till they're old and lets them die in peace. So death has no kind of sense to it. And then we add this final um, vanity, which we call Random Legacy. Now, uh, that's a bit of a strange title, Random Legacy. It's this, it's, uh, you might also think of it as the sameness and indifference 
of all things. So this happens while we're alive, um, that uh, Solomon says, I have seen a slave riding on a horse while a prince walked in the street. Uh, he says, the race is not to the, the swift or the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to them all. Um, and then he says, after we die, who knows who will get my legacy? Will, will my successors be a wise or foolish? Um, and, and this random sense of legacy scatters to the wind. Pe people are not remembered as they ought to be remembered. All right? So five vanities, time, evil, God unknowable, death, and random legacy. Um, and these change the picture. Here's, um, here's Miriam who is uh, looking forward to winning her race of life, but here is what happens. Okay, so Miriam, off you go, let's run. So first of all, she encounters time, and so she has to run around and around and around in circles, and her race is interrupted <laughs> by having to just go round and round. Uh, she <laughs> she's imprisoned within time. Um, so let's see what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 1, verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been done is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Okay, so then Miriam goes on, and she meets evil, and is inflicted with constant pain and grief. <laughs> and <outrage. laughs> um, so we, in our chapter today, in chapter 11, we, we came across evil again, because Solomon says, give a portion to seven or to eight, for you do not know what disaster will happen on the earth. Okay, that's enough of that, Benjamin. Thank you. Um, so Miriam goes on, and next she meets the unknowable God. So Miriam here loses her sight. She's blind. She doesn't know where she's going, because uh, the plans of God are mysterious to her. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5 says, as you do not know, the way that the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Next, Miriam goes on and meets death, and here she is cut off. <laughs> Gentle there, Bella. It's your friend, remember? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, verse 8 of 11 says, If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. So Miriam's goal of winning is already um, cut off at this point. But here's what she's amassed in her life. Here's her little bag of treasure and accomplishments. And this gets handed into the hands of random legacy. <laughs> <sighs> Um, okay, uh, Mary, why don't you uh, take those coins out and just scatter them around the room. Yeah, go ahead, just throw them out there. They're only plastic. There you are. There you are. That's, that's Miriam's legacy. That's what happens to it um, because of this random legacy. So... Um, uh, in 11 verse 6, we read, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So, does Miriam win her race? No. She does not. She's, she's not near the finish line. She's lying on the floor. And this is, a, this is the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, that winning, in any sense, in this life is impossible. It is made impossible by these five vanities. In fact, probably any one of them would make it impossible by itself, but the five together combine to make it totally impossible. 
so the conclusion of Ecclesiastes is that no one wins. No one wins, no one ever has. It might look to us like other people are winning, but they're not. Not really. Uh, it might seem that someone famous like Taylor Swift is winning right now. She's doing the thing she's always wanted to do. She's succeeding spectacularly, and she's receiving the world's praise. But the five vanities are coming for her, just like they come for everyone else. They've always succeeded in making any sense of victory in this life feel hollow and empty and unsatisfying. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. All right, you five can sit down on the steps right now. And now we're going to... We're going to need you again. Don't go, don't go home. Sit down in the steps right here. Uh, we're going uh, to need you again in one sec. But we're going to look at Miriam, and we're going to look at chapter 12, because there's something else that happens uh, to this wise person before the end. All right, this is kind of a, a sixth way of thinking about vanity. So this is from chapter 12. I'm going to take this off. But you are still wise. Um, <coughs> okay, so uh, if, you, if, you, if you remember chapter 12... Uh, as we heard, it, it, it includes an extended metaphor about aging, about getting old. And Miriam and I are going to show you this. I'm going to take this off again, actually. All right, so chapter 12 from the beginning says, Remember your, also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the, key Hello, Esther. In the keepers of the house tremble, the keepers of the house are your arms. The strong men are bent, uh, your legs and back. The grinders cease because they are few, it's your teeth. Those who look through the window are dimmed. Miriam's eyes are dimmed looking through the window. Um, the doors on the street are shut. So ears are being shut. The sound of the grinding is low. One rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The almond tree has a white blossom. <laughs> you are. Miriam's blossoming like the almond tree. Uh, the grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. This is where you have to die. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. All right? That entire chapter is an extended metaphor of aging and death, and he concludes, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. That's the end of the whole sermon. That's the end of Ecclesiastes. It ends with vanity of vanities exactly the same way that it began. And Solomon's final point in the whole sermon is that before life is snuffed out, it deteriorates. Aging means that little by little we disintegrate as people before we die. Our strength turns into weakness. Our, our senses are dulled. Our desire fails, and we take less and less pleasure in the works of God. So, children, you might be feeling quite depressed at this point. <laughs> um, there's a lot in this book of Ecclesiastes to find sad and depressing. But here's where we get to the good news. We get to cheer up here at the end. Because uh, Solomon takes us on a journey 
that doesn't actually end in despair. It ends in one of the most important lessons that anyone can learn about a human life, because it ends with this command, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And at the end of the sermon, there's an editor who adds a comment that Solomon was very wise and he collected Proverbs. And the editor puts in his own two cents of what the book's all about. He gives his own summary in verse 13 where he says, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So. Here's how we reset the scene in light of that wisdom. Miriam, get up. You can be restored to youthfulness. We're starting over. Okay. And uh, vanities, you can stand up again. All right. So we've got your crown of wisdom on your head, and we've got your goal to win. All right. There we are. And there we've got um, the five vanities standing in your way. How do we change this scene? How do we change this scene uh, in, in light of Ecclesiastes? We can't get rid of the vanities. Ecclesiastes says they will always be there in this world as it is. We don't want to get rid of the crown of wisdom. Ecclesiastes constantly praises wisdom, says it's better than folly. So what is there to change? There is to change this goal. We've got to take off the goal to win. And we've got to get a new goal. And the new goal that Ecclesiastes says we have to get is to know God. Okay? Now, so uh, Solomon said, remember your creator. His editor at the end said, fear God and keep his commandments. But Jesus said, know God. This is eternal life, that you know God uh, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And um, Jesus' command to know God includes fearing God. It includes remembering God. It includes keeping his commandments but it's knowing him. Um, so if this is our whole goal, what happens when we run the race of life? So Miriam, let's do it. First of all, you're going to encounter time. But now your goal is to know God. So as you're sent round and round in circles, you capture time um, and use it to know God better. So this is to, to make time habits of daily routines of daily prayer, weekly worship, annual festivals. And as time, you go round and round in time, you keep encountering all of these daily habits of knowing God, you get to know God better and better and better. So what becomes a circle of senselessness uh, turns into a spiral that goes up and up and helps your goal. So something that stopped you before is now helping you. And what we're going to find that all of these turn into allies. All right, next, you, uh, no, we're, not, we're wrong. Evil, Benjamin, you're next. Uh, so next we encounter uh, this reality of evil. What happens when we seek to know God and we have Jesus? Paul says we have an armor of God that defends us from this evil. That we put on the armor of God for this reason. It includes a helmet of salvation, a shield of faith, um, a breastplate of righteousness. And what happens is that we're then well defended against the evil that comes. We, we know what's happening. And evil stops being uh, something that thwarts all of our efforts and actually then helps us in our efforts to know God better. If the goal is knowing God, God, then evil actually teaches us valuable lessons and helps us to know him. Plus the fact that we know that Jesus is going to vanquish evil and deal with it in the end. So again, we've turned 
a threat into an ally. You've only helped us know God better. Thanks a lot. Now, um, God unknowable. Now, that seems like a pretty big uh, problem if our goal is to know God, that he's unknowable. But what we find is that if we change the goal from trying to win to trying to know God, that all of God's efforts and plans line up in that direction. And what happens is that God ceases to be unknowable and actually we see the plan. We see the plan in Jesus to come and rescue us and to teach us the truth. Um, and, we, and Jesus says, I have not called you slaves, I have called you friends. So God ceases to be unknowable when we seek to know him. See you later. Uh, death, death still comes. Death still comes. But death becomes um, a following of Jesus down a path that he has already trodden. It also becomes a gateway to uh, being closer to God and knowing him better. Uh, so death, even you are a vanquished enemy, and we know that we're going to be resurrected on the other side of the grave. So you have lost your sting. I'm going to take that away. <laughs> and finally, there's random legacy. Now, the, the legacy in this world continues to be random, but how has Miriam escaped it? By knowing God. She's escaped it because her legacy isn't in this world anymore. Uh, Jesus said, uh, do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. So instead, Miriam gets to keep her treasure because it was always in heaven all along. Instead of a reputation that was uh, on earth and gets scattered to the wind, it's a reputation that's kept safe in heaven with Jesus. And all of her treasure was stored there anyway. So see you later, random legacy. And Miriam goes on to the finish line and achieves her goal of knowing God. All right, so you guys can all sit down. Thank you. Uh, we have illustrated uh, the heart of Ecclesiastes um, and uh, what it teaches us about our lives. All right, so hopefully that set us up well for the core message of the end of this book, which I'll just bring home for us uh, uh, briefly. So if you haven't opened it already, please open now to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11, page 559. Um, and at the end of Solomon's long sermon, he gives us some instructions, some commands, things to do next. Uh, any good sermon ends with some instructions, and so does the Sermon of Ecclesiastes. And when we met here for Bible study on Wednesday night, we identified the three key commands that are at the end of this passage. So the first one is in chapter 11, verse 2, and it's the command to give, and that summarizes verses 1 through 6. Then, in verse 9, we find the command to rejoice, and that summarizes verses 7 through 10. And then, from chapter 12, verse 1, we have remember. So, the three commands at the end are give, rejoice, and remember. These are the three main things that Solomon wants us to do at the end of his epic, long, uh, world-sweeping sermon of Ecclesiastes. It comes down to these things. These are deep wisdom. We've already explored this command to remember. It means to know God and make knowing him your goal. It means stop trying to win. Stop trying to win. Stop trying to make a name for yourself through art or science or politics or fame. Stop trying to make a home for yourself that's crafted to suit your own preferences and tastes. And stop trying to be the hero of your loved one's lives. Stop it. Stop saving your own life. It doesn't work. It never has worked. It never will work. God has written into the fabric of our universe that that will never work. 
that those who seek to win in these ways are always, always, always going to fail. Jesus promised it. Whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we need to lose our lives, to give them over to him properly and fully. A halfway given over life is not good enough. Okay, and I suspect that a lot of us are still honestly trying to do this, to give our lives over halfway, to keep Jesus happy while we're really still holding on to our own hopes and dreams on the side. We haven't actually given up the goal of trying to win, hoping to be the very first human who does. And I did this myself for many years in my teens. So it was like this. Let's see. I go to church. I throw a few bucks in the plate when it comes around. I stay out of trouble. I keep the law. I don't do anything the Bible calls immoral. And if a homeless person asks for money, I'll pass him a few bucks out of my car window. I'm all right, right? I'm okay. He'll be happy with that. I can get on with my business and with living my life the way I'm really interested in it. And I want to tell you, friends, that no, that is not good enough. On the basis of what we've learned in Ecclesiastes, that is absolutely not good enough. It's not okay. It's not going to turn out well for you. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're really still wearing this, uh, let's get the right one, this win lanyard. We're wearing this. We're still wearing that I want to win. I want to do my life my way. I want to gain the things that I want out of this life. And while we're wearing this, the five vanities will smash us to pieces. Do not wear this. Um, Jesus promises that anyone who's trying to save his own life is going to lose it. So then, what does it look like to fully take this off and fully put this on? This is my life goal. It looks like a complete change of direction, a turning around, a repenting of the old way, and everything that it stood for. I've stopped moving away from God, and now I want to move toward him. I've recognized him as the very center of my life, the most important thing in my universe, my first love, my chief delight and desire, the one I want for all eternity. Nothing that he asks for is too much to ask. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will say anything for my Lord Jesus. That is the heart that is its true goal, is knowing God. And that's a life that cannot lose. It cannot help being saved. On the outside, it might not look very different from everyone else. It doesn't necessarily turn you into a wild-haired prophet or a pastor or an overseas missionary. You might still be an accountant. But you'll be an accountant whose first desire is to know God and who does his accounting as part of a life that's lived in answer to God's call. And I would add then, part two, that he's also going to be a generous accountant because that's the second command from Solomon to give from the beginning of chapter 11. Now, generosity, we know, is God's command throughout Holy Scripture. We give generously because we want to be like God, because our God is a generous giver. But Solomon comes to the same conclusion from a very different direction. Because Solomon looks at the world and he concludes, well, this is a crazy upside-down world. If I can't get what I want by earning it and collecting it and keeping it for myself, how about the total opposite? Reckless, throw it all out there, generosity. Cast your bread upon the waters, he says. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, he says. And lo and behold, that does in fact work. You know what's crazy? 
It's crazy that money can't make you happy. It really should be able to, and it really can't. The more you have, the more unsatisfied you get. You cannot satisfy yourself by accumulating more. You know what else you can't do? You cannot make yourself destitute through generosity. You can't do it. It can't be done. No one who's ever actually done that, ever actually tried, has ever called themselves destitute. You know what word they use instead? Rich. <laughs> Solomon, in all his wisdom, reaches the end of his epic global survey and says, look guys, just give up on wealth and money and sex and power. It should work, but it doesn't. Instead, you know what works? Lavish, no-holds-barred generosity. Should be a total disaster, but it's not. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added to you as well. And it's hard to explain the mechanics of how that happens, but somehow it always does. And then finally, Solomon has this command to us, which he said many times before. He comes back in the end to joy. Chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And as you sit here listening to my words, whoever you are, whether you're wise or foolish, rich or poor, good or bad, joy is God's gift to you. I make no comment on whether you deserve it. But Solomon insists that joy is yours. It is yours for the taking. It is a gift in a box wrapped up on the table right in front of you. Joy. Some now, in fact plenty now, more than you could probably use. But much, much more later if you'll follow after the real joy giver. And Solomon says, take it, friends. Take this joy. Receive it. It's yours. It's yours to take. And it's wise to receive it. Despite everything that's obviously wrong and broken with this world, we have this gift of living in this state of almost perpetual joy. It is our lot. It is God's gift to you. Paul says to the church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If we're not receiving it, the reason is probably we won't give up control. We have this incessant need for control, and we have an insistence on getting answers to the questions so that we feel in control. That's the reason. Give up on those things and just receive the joy. Uh, joy is there for all people who will let God be God, who will let Solomon do our wise thinking for us, and who will receive our lives humbly like little. Remember, give, rejoice. With these commands, the words of the preacher are ended.